Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Good afternoon, everybody. Man, it is so great to see your faces. Um, some of you know my wife and I are a part of a ministry called Life Action and uh, travel most of the time, at least I do, my wife half the time. So, But this is home, this is family. And so to, to be four weekends in a row, which only happens in December because our, our ministry teams kind of take a little little time off. Churches aren't using us. They're doing Christmas stuff. So we get to go oh, and just take a little breath. So I was here last week sharing with you guys today. I'm just going to be a part of you the next two weekends. So uh, man, I, I'm excited. I hope you don't get sick of us while we're here, here more. Um, but we, we just love you. I love, every time I'm here, I mean, if you see me occasionally making a little video, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I just, I'm at churches all over the country and the world, and I want people to just get a taste sometimes of what happens here, because I really do believe this is what healthy church in the West looks like. And anybody that hears me speak, you know I draw so much from what is happening in the persecuted church. If, if it doesn't work theologically or practically in the persecuted church, I don't think it works anywhere. And, and so, so it's, it's really, really important to me to see how God is at work in a place like this, not far on the other side of the world where we spend a good deal of time, but right here. So just thank you for what you're letting God do in you. It's a big uh, dream come true in, in my heart. Um, this is kind of cool and weird, what I'm about to talk about, because um, I was talking to my wife. I don't know that I've ever heard a Christmas message um, about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I've ever heard one. And um, um, I told Jay, I think a couple of weeks ago, that this is what I felt like the Lord was leading me to speak. Um, I preach a lot of messages many times because I preach to so many so many different audiences. It's different than being a pastor. But this is very new to me. In fact, and, and in fact, I, I, I preached a, a form kind of of this uh, a couple of Sundays ago, but even this is developing in, in my heart. And, I, and I, I don't know that I've heard a message in my whole ministry on the filling of the Holy Spirit at Christmas time. And yet, last week, I'm sitting out here, and Adam is, where's Adam? Is he, is he here? That was, he was so cool. There he's back here. So cool that God's bringing staff, you know, to our church. And Adam's preaching, and he, and he starts preaching about the Holy Spirit. I'm going, this is crazy. I've never heard a message at Christmas about the Holy Spirit. He's doing it. Now I'm going to do it, you know? And so I told Jay, I said, this may be a little weird. I don't know. This is our last Sunday before Christmas. And maybe it's just, maybe it's odd. Maybe somebody should read some other scripture. And then I, I went, I went to, the, to the word and I remembered something that for some reason kind of was hidden from, from my, my spirit. And I began to wonder, how come we haven't heard every single Christmas? a message about the Holy Spirit. Mary was terrified. Remember, this is not, it's not even going to be on the screen because it's, this is even since I sent slides, this is fresh on my heart. Mary is terrified. She, the angel Gabriel has said, you're going you're gonna to have a child. She's like, I'm a virgin. I, 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 haven't, I haven't done anything sinful. And she's terrified. And what is the first thing Gabriel says? He says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will overshadow you 
And the child, this is, this is Luke 1, verse 35, the child who is to be born to you will be called holy. Wow. Everything about Christmas is about the Holy Spirit. And so, man, if all we get from Christmas is, is that there's a really cool story about a baby born in a manger and, you know, later died and rose, and that's really cool because now I can have a better life. Man, we're, we're completely missing the whole Christmas story. Title of the message is um, The One Thing You Must Have for Christmas. The One Thing You Must Have for Christmas. I, I, would, I would say to you that if you get nothing at all, if you have coal in your stocking and you get nothing else but this, you'll actually have everything that you need. The one thing you must have for Christmas is the Spirit-filled life. To walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit of God is everything you would ever need. Why is it so important? Because particularly in the Western church, we have an entire form of Christianity that looks absolutely nothing like what we see in the book of Acts. It just, it just doesn't even resemble it. One of the things we do when, when we're on the road with our teams trying to help churches get healthy is we say, all right, take this passage from Acts 2. Take this passage from Acts 4. We'll read the Acts 4 passage in a little while so we can do it ourselves here. And, and, and look at, read this passage and then just stop and ask yourself and ask those in your small group, ask those around you, ask your pastor, ask your staff, ask this question. How much do we look like that? <laughs> And the answer in the Western church is almost not at all. Like, like it's, it's almost impossible to read those passages and go, whoa, there's my church. So why, that's why our ministry is booked up through next year because churches are going, we need help. We need, we need to be healthy. We need, we need something because whatever we're doing doesn't appear to look like the New Testament. You, you, you know, what's missing, what's missing is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit can come to you no matter what state you're in, no matter how you feel, whether you're happy or sad, depressed or, or, or joyful, rich or, 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 or poor, healthy or sick. The power of the Holy Spirit has come upon the suffering church in such incredible ways that the center of what God is doing in the world has shifted outside of this country to the third world church. So that means we have to learn from them. And I want to tell you, I'm never going a year of my life without multiple times going to the persecuted church if the Lord will keep me healthy because I've got to see it. I've got to experience it. I have to remember that God is alive and well and his church is alive and well. And there's no reason in the world we can't have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. If, if you say, I am a Christian, and absolutely nobody notices. Either you have never met Jesus or this is the most important message you'll ever hear as a Christian because you must be full of the Holy Spirit. And if he's not making any noticeable difference, you're missing the very center of our faith. You're missing the angel saying to you, I know you're afraid. I know all of this, but the Holy Spirit is gonna overshadow you. He's gonna take care of you. It's got a life and a purpose for you. Our faith is supposed to be 
filled with noticeable power. Okay, I'm really serious about faith, but I don't want to take myself too seriously. I love to laugh and tell stories. Some of you heard this story. I thought, oh, I'm going to tell this story. I've told it. I t- if, you've been a, if you heard me speak at Christmas, you've probably heard it. I just have to, because a, a lot of you are new, and it's the best Christmas story of our life. My wife knows I am terrible putting anything together. I mean, I, I'm amazed at Jay. He's always building something and doing something. Anything I do like that just, just it turns into a full-scale disaster. So my wife will not allow me to put up Christmas lights because she wants me to live, which is really great. And when I put up Christmas lights, terrible, terrible things happen. So we, we, we hired one of you to come do our Christmas lights. I'm serious about this. So several years back, um, I was still trying this and uh, I went out and I took the lights and I put them outside and I put them on the, on the concrete, uh, the driveway and it had rained. Okay. And I wanted to make sure they were working before I put them all over the bushes and stuff. And sure enough, they're not working. Well, I could have sworn I unplugged them. Okay. But I didn't. And I, I found the broken bulb. And I grabbed the bulb and I'm trying to get it out. Now I had tennis shoes on, which was saving me because I got my hands on bare wires. That's how dumb I am. And I'm trying to pull this bulb and I can't get it out. Donna sees me, my wife Donna right over here, sees me from the window and comes out there. And she says, honey, I know this is hard for you. I can tell you're getting frustrated. I love you so much for trying. And barefoot, she gives me a kiss. It's exactly what you think. It was the electric kiss. Just like that. I fell down. She fell down. And she starts screaming, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Our son thought she was saying, I'm shot, and ran out with his hunting knife to protect his mother. It was, the, it was like some crazy thing in a romantic comedy, but it was actually real, all right? So when I realized I was alive, she was alive, of course, you know what my first thought was. Man, that woman can kiss right there. That was, that was my first thought. But in all, in all seriousness, the power of the Lord must be visible and transformational. You grab hold of some bare wires, you will notice. What about in your spiritual life? Is it noticeable? Can you say right now, man, the Holy Spirit of God has changed me and is changing me. Can others say that? That's what we want to talk about today. I, I just want to ask, ask and answer some questions to the best I can biblically. Let me tell you, I, I feel like a kindergartner teaching you about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning so much. And then sometimes I, I go, Lord, I may need to unlearn. I don't know. I just, I, I just know this. I'm subject to his word. And, and I, I, I I take a lot of what I, what I see in the word and I look and see how it's working where the church actually looks like the church in the New Testament. And, and that's what I teach. And so um, if any of it's not from God, I pray he'll, he'll correct me. Question number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, um, Adam said last week, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Romans says, if you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. I, I know there are some that believe other things than that. that that's kind of one of those things that's pretty fundamentally right there in, in, in Scripture. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you're not saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He saves us. But not everyone that has the Holy Spirit in your life because you're saved, not everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says that we are not to be drunk with wine, that that's debauchery, but, but to be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek has a tense we don't have that it has to mean continually, not a one-time thing. 
So when the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's not a one-time super spiritual event. Now, to be honest, I've had a couple of times like that that were these amazing spiritual breakthrough moments in my life. That is a filling of the Holy Spirit. But the teaching of Scripture is that this is something that needs to happen continually, and there may be seasons where you're full of the Spirit and then seasons where you're full of self. I know that's certainly um, the way I have, have lived. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we just saw, right, that, that Mary is afraid and the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this one who will be born of you will be called holy. He'll be the son of God. Even just from that verse, but really from the whole testimony of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is God in Christ in you. You may want to write this down because if you ask the average cultural Christian today, I think most people feel like the Holy Spirit is something like the Star Wars force, okay? And that's nothing to do with the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is God in Christ overshadowing Mary, calling him holy. And he did all that. Christmas is because he wants to be in you. The Holy Spirit in him in you. That's, what, that's who he is. And that's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. Man, you don't have to even go to the New Testament to hear amazing things about who the Holy Spirit is. Isaiah chapter 11, I love these passages because Jesus, in what Isaiah says in chapter 11 and then chapter 61, Jesus speaking and early in his ministry says, these things are being fulfilled right now. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit will rest upon him. Who is he? The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might or power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Anybody here today need wisdom or understanding? Anybody confused about stuff in life? Anybody need some counseling? Anybody need power? Anybody need some knowledge of how to live? Anybody, anybody need the fear of the Lord? We're fear, afraid of everything else. If you start fearing the Lord, you don't have to fear anything else. Anybody need some delight in your life? You see, all of this is the Spirit of God. And in, and in chapter 61, this is the passage that when Jesus preached early in his ministry, he said, this is it. It's fulfilled now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, Jesus read this and said, it's, it's me. It's, it's being fulfilled now because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Anybody having struggles? And, and by the way, poor doesn't just mean financially. It just means your entire life is in a place of poverty. He sent me to bind up the broken heart. Anybody have a broken heart? To proclaim liberty to the captives. Anybody struggling with substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, bondage, pornography? And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Anybody feel these things in your life? Jesus said, Holy Spirit's on me and I'll come live in you. And everything that the Holy Spirit does can live in your life. Wow. Man, when you see people that you don't have any doubt, you go, well, now there's a spirit-filled person right there. It is so powerful and wonderful. And the reason why so many of us need to walk in the spirit so others can have a model of what that looks like. Some of you were sitting uh, on the floor um, in a missionary's home um, in a country in Central Asia um, just a little over a month ago. 
Several of you are here today and you were there with me. It means so much that, that our church will send and go. TC and Danielle were there sitting, sitting there and we were sitting with a couple. We'll call them M and M. Their first letter, their names start with M and we, we guard their identity because their whole family was terribly persecuted um, in the country where they were from. And, and I, 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 they're just incredible. They can't stop sharing the gospel. They're, they're, they've suffered so much. And, and, yet, and yet they're so full of joy and peace and love and hope and kindness. And, and, and I, I asked them a question and then I just, I took my phone and I'm just writing it down so that I get the almost exact quote. And I, I said, how do you do this? How do you live the way you live? How do you share the God? You, American believers won't even talk about Jesus. How do you do this in the midst of suffering and pain? Here's what they said. Well, it's who we are. When we came to Jesus, it wasn't about us anymore. We died then, and now life is about him. We suffer, but God uses our pain. He uses the pain of believers in this country where they're from to fulfill his prophecies. She said, in the past, no one would come to faith in our country, literally no one. Now we pray, we love, we share, and people come to Jesus immediately. We don't even need strategy or training. We have Jesus and his spirit has us, and we live in his power. There you go. Anybody want that? <laughs> that's, that's what Christmas is about. That's the greatest thing you could ever have for Christmas. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Question number two, what, 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 the, filling, what is the filling of the spirit, Holy Spirit is not? Let's talk about that question. What is it not? Okay, n number one, it's not knowledge. And this is great news because you may be going, I don't even know all of the Bible yet. I couldn't be full of the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees knew about everything. They memorized whole books of the Bible and killed Jesus. Okay, if, if you have a heart full of Bible knowledge without the Holy Spirit, you know, you, you'll either be lost or you'll just be a fruitless believer all your life. So knowledge is important, but knowledge is not the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not maturity, which is also good news because a lot of you are young believers in, in Christ. I look back to when Jay's grandfather led me to Jesus and then said, come on, we're going to go out on the streets and we're going to share the gospel with people. I mean, some of you don't know his grandfather led me to Jesus. I probably will never speak here without saying it because the sovereignty of God that now my pastor, his grandfather led me to Christ. Now he's pastored some of my grandchildren. One of them back there helping run slides today. God's sovereignty is so incredible and wonderful. But Ian would take me out on the streets and I've known Jesus about a day and a half. And he's taking me out on the streets and he's, and he's we're going to pray now. And the Holy Spirit's going to fill us and, and lead us. And, and I'm watching people come to faith and, and I'm so full of joy and power and peace. I didn't know squat. Here's, here's what else is also cool. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not miraculous gifts. Now, let me be very careful here. If you think I don't believe in miraculous gifts, uh, hang out with me a little while. Let me tell you a few stories. <laughs> I, I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and I, I have seen so many miracles. But what's interesting about the church that looks the most like the New Testament today is that um, they expect to see miracles sometimes, but that's not what they're seeking. It's not how they judge whether they're full of the Holy Spirit because many of their loved ones have not been delivered. The prison doors have not opened and they haven't been healed of an illness. Some of them have, but many have not. And so they don't look at that as, as the clear sign of the filling 
of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, think, I think Jesus gave us some cautions that we have to, you know, we kind of have to watch out for a little bit. In John chapter 6, um, Jesus had fed the 5,000, and uh, they all came back. And Jesus in John 6, 26 said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What he said is, man, you just saw miracles, but that's not really why you're here. You just want more fish sandwiches. You just want to fill yourself with more. He said, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Listen, listen. Don't seek miracles. Seek the miracle. Seek the miracle. Because then, you see, if, if, if you're not careful, if you view miracles as the center of everything you see, then when you suffer, you're going to say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't real. Maybe, maybe, he's not, maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe, he's, maybe I'm messed up about something. No, don't, don't, seek, don't seek miracles. Seek the miracle. His name is Jesus. And um, if you go on to John chapter 12, this is pretty, pretty important stuff. In verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Wow. Um, I didn't really understand that, that passage. How, how could you see miracles like that and not believe? Um, a lot of the places we go, I can't tell you where they are, but this is a, a different Central Asian country. And uh, my, my wife, so proud of her, she actually led the first woman to faith in Christ and the history of the people group that was there. And one of the answers to our prayers of our life to lead people to Jesus that had never heard his name before. And, and, um, the country where we were was on the border of another Muslim country that is often in the news. And there were no churches there at all, but the missionaries we were there with, they had, God had begun a movement through them. I don't have time to tell you about it all, but the local imams invited us to tell all about Jesus they said, the Muslim terrorists here don't give us water. We dug them wells. They said, come tell about Jesus all you want. <laughs> so we had protection of the imams for doing what we were doing. There was a village there. wasn't one single believer in it. As far as we knew, they knew nothing about Jesus except what the Quran says about Isa. They knew nothing about him at all. And one day our missionary, who, let me just tell you, he's, um, he wouldn't be known as a part of a denomination that uh, often believes in miraculous signs, okay? Um, he does, but many in the denomination he said, I don't really tell this story to very many people in our denomination because I'm not sure what they'll do with it. He gets a call and he says, something horrific is happening in this village. And, and can you come and help us? We know you pray and can you come and help us? He got a partner, went to the, to the village and I've been right there. This is not hearsay, I'm right there with him. And he goes into the village and the villagers are grabbing him and pulling him into every home um, because their children had gone catatonic. They were laying like they were paralyzed on their beds. The children of the village. Our missionary brought a doctor in and said, what is going on here? Is this some kind of virus? Is it some kind of a, a terrible illness? Do we need to get the CDC? And, and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with these kids. Nothing physical. So our missionary got with his partner and said, this is not in the seminary training. I guess, why don't we just do what Jesus and the apostles did? So they went to every home. These people did not speak English. And they went in and they lifted their hands and they prayed over these children and they prayed that the Lord would heal and deliver them from whatever they were facing. And every one of those, child, every one of those children sat up 
And just like in the scripture, they were hungry and thirsty and they brought them food. Every single child in that village was raised up from what appears to have been something demonic. One after another after another. Can you imagine the revival that happened in that village? Can you imagine how they flocked to Jesus? Except they didn't. As far as I know, not one person in that village came to Christ as a result. (laughs) Because they were afraid of what it would mean to leave Islam. Missionary said something to me I'll never forget. He said, John, what I've learned from this is only love changes hearts. Not even power will change hearts. Not, Not witnessed power, only love. Now people are coming to Christ in that region as they see the love of God's people through the Holy Spirit. I think there's some reasons Jesus was a little cautious about putting all of our faith in miracles. Seek the miracle. Now we see what the filling of the Spirit is not. So let's talk about what the filling of the Spirit is, okay? I I love this. This is not inerrant. This is not right out of the Bible. It's just, again, my kindergarten understanding of the Holy Spirit pulling from Scripture. If you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, here's what it means. A daily yes to King Jesus and no to King me, resulting in supernatural power and the fruit of the Spirit. A daily yes to King Jesus and no to King me, resulting in supernatural power and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. See, that's something you can do daily, something you can experience over and over again with God. Now, let's talk about what he does, and and, uh, and we'll move toward a finish here. What does the Holy Spirit do? If he fills you up, what does he do? I love this. He transforms and defines us. You know, you know you're filled with something, You know that you're filled with something because the nature of what fills you defines you. Okay, let me say that again. You know that you are filled with something because the nature of what fills you defines you. So you run into me one day and you're shocked that I'm stumbling around like this and and you think, oh, is John sick? And I come up to you and I reek of alcohol. And how's it going? How are you doing? I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know What's wrong with me? Shocking, but you know it. I am, I am drunk. I am filled with alcohol, and I'm defined by what alcohol does, you see. When you're full of the Spirit, you are defined, defined by what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit produces. Isn't that cool? And, and, and you don't have to do it. In fact, it is absolutely impossible for you to do it. That's how you know you're full of the Holy Spirit. You begin to go, what, what's happening? How did that happen? I, I'm not like that. That's not me. I'm not, I, I'm, not any, I'm not close to this. I'm not, I don't even know Jesus well enough to be living like, like this because it's the Holy Spirit doing it. And then people start saying, what, what's changed about you? What's happening in your life? You know, what's, you know what's going on? The Holy Spirit produces an orchard in you. He produces an orchard in you. Go to Galatians chapter five, verse 22. Oh man, this is, I just love this. Love this so much. I love studying about anything to do with the Holy Spirit, but I'd rather study about the fruit of the Spirit than the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, here's, here's why. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't study the gifts of the Spirit. I just rather study the fruit. Why? Because we don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. I don't have most of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you have come to Jesus, you have gifts from the Holy Spirit. And you and this church ought to help you know what those gifts are. And it's perfectly fine, the Scripture says, to desire greater gifts. Now, it looks like in the Scripture, greater gifts are things like 
like teaching and prophecy and, and, and not necessarily all the things that are as quite as showy sometimes that we look at as the gifts of the Spirit. But none of that's really my concern today. The reason I'd rather talk about the fruit of the Spirit is because the gifts of the Spirit, I don't have all of them. The gifts of the Spirit are something I don't have a ton of control over. God chooses what gift He wants to give me. But you know what? The fruit of the Spirit, I can have all that. And so can you. The fruit of the Spirit is what grows in my spirit when the Holy Spirit is filling my spirit. See, if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you're not empty. You're full of something else. There's just no room in there. (laughs) But when the Holy Spirit begins to fill it, what happens? Well, it's like it's been dry and parched and suddenly it's watered and fertilized and it began begins to grow and this orchard from Galatians 5 begins to grow in you. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. In other words, there is nothing stopping you from the fruit of the Spirit. God will never hinder the fruit of the Spirit in you. You can if you want, but there is a holy spirit who overshadowed a young Jewish peasant girl and filled the God-man and brought him into this world to live a perfect life and die a sinless death and rise from the grave in mighty power who now says to me and you, I will breathe on you and you will be filled with my spirit. Miracles, you better better believe miracles will happen. And then sometimes they won't. And sometimes you'll weep and you won't understand. But here's what you can always know. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is growing in you. And even when you don't understand, even when a miracle doesn't come, the spirit of God in you is moving and shaping and growing you. I want my wife to come up here just for a minute. I know we've shared about our marriage before. We've done pretty much all of our marriage teaching here, but it's really strange for me to say this to you, but I I hated her. I mean, I I wish, I I didn't used to say it that way because it's like, that's just so mean. But I mean, when I was walking around, getting away from our house as long as I could, as much as I could, that's what I felt in my heart. I don't want to be with this woman because she was angry all the stinking time. Now, I was so self-centered. I didn't have the Holy Spirit of the Spirit in my life. I wasn't thinking about the fact that I didn't pray out loud over her. I didn't use the weapons of my warfare. I was self-centered and just, you can go all through the works of the flesh, and I had about all of them. And, um, So I just didn't want to be around her. And our marriage was in dire trouble because she was angry and I didn't know what to do with it. But the Holy Spirit did. Tell tell them about it a little bit. I wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't walking in the Spirit. I was full of anger. I had a lot of reasons to be justifiably angry. I've shared many of those with you before. You know, a mom and a dad who didn't really care about me. Um, just a lot of a lot of things in my life that I had a reason to be angry about. But basically what happened is I became addicted to anger and it was a stronghold in my life. And the only way to break a stronghold in your life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, once again, 
Jay's grandmother, Esther, she was my mentor, and she challenged me. She said, I, I want you to get in the Word because the only way that you're going to break the power of this stronghold of anger in your life is you're going to have to let the Word work in your life, and the Holy Spirit will work through the Word of God. And as I began to read the Word in James 1.20, I came across a verse, and it says this. It says, man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God so desires. I'd read that verse before, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit illuminated it in my life like never before. And I realized that what I was doing, I had learned anger from my dad. I'd seen my dad throw things and yell and scream. <clears throat> so that's what I did. I had a learned response, a stronghold. The enemy knew exactly what he needed to do to get my anger to control our home and to push John away and to push my children away. But when I read that verse, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, you're trying to control people with your anger, and that's not going to make anything right. You yelling and screaming at your kids, it's not going to make them behave. You yelling and screaming at John is not going to make him the man of God that he needs to be. It's not going to produce righteousness. And I began to pray God's word in my life, and I, I wrote that verse out. I wrote it on the mirror. I wrote it in the car. I wrote it different places. I memorized that verse, and I began to ask the Holy Spirit to just change my life. I didn't try harder because I couldn't try harder. I tried harder before, and trying harder did not work for me at all. But as I began to memorize this verse, the Holy Spirit began to just work in my life and bring me peace. And I'll never forget standing in the kitchen one day and John snuck up behind me as I was cooking and he said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're not the same woman that you used to be. That wasn't Donna trying harder. That was the fruit of peace being born out in my life because God uses his word to break strongholds. He uses his word to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And now when I'm on the road, 20-something years after God healed our marriage, I can't wait to get home. I, I, she thought I was having an affair back then. I, I wasn't, not because I was so holy. I, I guess because nobody approached me. <laughs> I probably would have messed up my whole life because it was just that bad. Um, I just didn't want to be home. Now I can't wait to get home. Why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit changed my wife, changed me, and gave us a new marriage. This Holy Spirit stuff... It is real, it matters, and it's right, about the, it's right in the middle of the practical stuff of our, of our life. You know what happens when we're full of the Holy Spirit together? We call it revival. I, I lead a revival ministry, that's all. It's just, it's just God's people full of the Holy Spirit together. When God gave the Holy Spirit to the world, he didn't give it to an individual, he gave it to the church so that we would live in the filling of the Holy Spirit together. I told you we often read one of these Acts passages and just say to churches, let's just say, how much does, do we look like this? And then let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us so we'll look like this more. That's it. So let's do it together right now. Acts 4, here's the church full of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued 
to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. We fight about everything these days. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, everyone. Listen to this. I mean, think of the problems we have in our society. It was solved back then. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I'm just going to give you a little acrostic to move toward the end here. If you want to be able to think about what does this passage teach? What are we supposed to look like today? What's the church full of the Holy Spirit supposed to look like? What's your life supposed to look like? Fuel. You're supposed to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it means F, fire, the power of God. My wife said she couldn't do it. He can. Unity, all right? Listen, listen, if, if you start fussing about something in here, you need to get with God really, really quick because this is the, it, it may be the most egregious sin of the Western church of our day. When we were in the Central Asia, we realized there were two divisions happening among believers there. And I thought, man, I don't, don't normally see this as much in the persecuted church. You know what I found out? They, they were begun by American Christians who moved there. And it's time we stop this nonsense. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. God does. We believe his word. We believe in Jesus. He's coming again. We believe these things. If we differ on some other things, he'll straighten all that out. We got to get our hearts together because we have evangelism to do. We have good news to share with people that don't know it. And we got to love each other so that, so that we meet each other's needs and care for each other. That, that fuel is what empowered the early church and they won the Roman Empire. They didn't have votes. They didn't have power. They were racially divided in worse ways than we are. I, I mean, unless you're a member of the Ku Klux Klan, you probably don't believe that if you touch somebody who's a different race than you, you are unclean. That's what every Jew and Gentile believed. And God tore it all down and brought them together and fueled the New Testament church. That's what it looks like to be filled. Are you filled? Do you want to be? It's what you need for Christmas. So here's all you do. Three things. Believe, trade, ask. That's just it. The believe, trade, ask. First of all, you got to believe. This, this is either true or it's just crazy. That the spirit that created the universe is going to fill you up with all the things that we've read about today. So you believe and then you say, Lord, I, I, there's too much junk in here for anything else to fit. And so I offer it to you in, in trade. I don't want it anymore. I can't do it. Just like my wife did with her anger. I, I just lift it up to you and I offer it to you. And then ask him, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. For me, that's, that's my morning prayer in the shower. I'm sorry, don't get a visual. You'll get sick to the stomach. But that's, that's my morning prayer in the shower. I, Lord, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a very smart man. I'm too stupid to live this life on my own. I beg you. I offer you a trade, fill me with your spirit, and he will. Some of you today just have a little bit of hope, <laughs> just a little, and maybe this message has given you a little bit more. Oh, maybe, maybe it doesn't depend on me. Maybe 
Maybe there's something beyond me that can rescue me and change me. Sometimes all you really need at Christmas is just a little hope that the Spirit of God is everything you need. You got one of these when you came in. Some of, and if you didn't, there's plenty in the back for you to take with you. I hope you will take one with you. And I hope you'll remember the story. Um, my best friend other than my, my bride uh, is Gary Witherall. We got to get him here at some point. 20 years ago last month, his wife um, was martyred by Al-Qaeda in uh, southern Lebanon. They were missionaries there. I often say I mentored Gary for a year after that, and he's mentored me ever since. Um, he forgave this man who murdered his precious bride. I remarried him um, to the granddaughter of a martyr. <laughs> and they have, they have four children, and they're, they're you know, leading, lead missionaries to the same culture that killed Gary's first wife. And we served together. Gary was with us in Central Asia uh, in October when we served there. We were, Gary and I were on the way to meet up with our team. I had been with him in his home. And uh, he said, man, we're, we're, we're going to the persecuted church. We're talking about the persecuted church. He said, I've, I, I've been meaning to tell you a story about my father. And this is the story he told me. He said, my father got to, be, got to know Richard Vermbrand. Now I went, you gotta be kidding, Richard Vermbrand. If, maybe some of you know that name. Richard Vermbrand wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. He was a Romanian pastor in the days of communism and he was arrested, horribly tortured uh, and thrown in prison for something like 14 years because he would not deny Jesus. One day in that horrible, horrible prison where everyone was starving to death, a family member of a prisoner smuggled in one of these, a sugar cube. And Richard Vermbrand told this story directly to Gary's father. He said, when the prisoner got it, he thought, sugar? I haven't had sugar in years. And he started to eat it, put it in his tea or something. And he thought, but this is hope. This is hope. And what if, um, what if there's somebody else that needs more hope than me? So he hid it in his cell. And sometime after that, after the worst torture session Richard Vermbrand had ever been through, he was infected from his wounds. He was lying feverish on his bed in his cell. And he thought, this is the end. This is the end. I'm not going to make it. And that prisoner slipped into his cell. And he said, Richard, I was given this and I was going to take it myself. But I thought there'd be a day when somebody needs more hope than me. This is that day. You're that person. This is for you. And he left. And Richard Vermbrand took it. And he started to unwrap it. He thought, but what if there's a day when there's somebody else that needs more hope than me? So he hid it in his cell and he survived. And a few weeks later, he heard the screams of a man that he'd been sharing the gospel with for a long time. An atheist who had been in there for years. Richard Vermbrand took that sugar cube and went into his cell while he was weeping and crying from the pain of his torture. And he said, someone gave me this when there was no hope for me, but you need it more than me. This is yours now. There's hope. And the atheist tortured soul accepted Jesus that day and went to be with him a few days later.
Richard Verbrand assumed he had eaten that sugar. He never saw the cube again. Two years went by. <laughs> and a whole different prisoner came walking up to Richard Verbrand as Verbrand was being released miraculously from prison. And he said, Richard, somebody gave me this when there was no hope. He said, now you're going where there's hope. But somewhere along the way, there'll be others who need hope. And I know how you've shared it in this prison. I know you'll share it out there. Take this with you. It's yours now. And the same thing he had been given two years before had never been eaten. And it passed to him. He told this story to my best friend's father. <laughs> and while Gary's father was in tears, Richard Vermbrand reached in his pocket and pulled out that sugar cube. It had been decades. He said, I've never eaten it. And he said, I'm not going to give it to you, but I am. Because I've given you today the story of hope. And the hope of the Holy Spirit is a gift you give away and you also get to keep. So there you go. There's the hope you need. And there's somebody, somebody that you're going to meet soon. And they're going to need hope too. Maybe more than you. So keep this. Take it with you. Remember the story. And remember, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And then the one who fills you, well, he's called holy. And he's the son of God. And he has everything you need. Why don't you stand up with me and why don't you just close your eyes? This is not magic. This is not a secret. If you don't know Jesus today, then <laughs> if you ask him, the Holy Spirit, the very spirit that brought God to man will come into your life and live in you. So ask him. If, if you're not sure that you are his follower, well, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. He'll save you, rescue you. Ask him. Say, I, I, I want to know you, Jesus. Clean me out. Change me. Fill me. Save me. And I'll follow you all my life. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, tell somebody. Tell Jay. Tell me. Tell somebody before you leave this building. But if you know Jesus today and you're ready to be filled... Let me ask you, do you believe? Do you believe that God could change something in your heart the way he changed, the way he changed the anger in my wife's? Do you believe the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be an orchard growing in your life till nobody can miss it? Then make the trade right now, right where you are. Tell him, Lord, I believe. It's crazy, but I believe it's real. I believe you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so I make a trade. God, I offer you right now the junk in my heart. And then ask. And Lord, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Not just for Christmas, but for every day, every day, every day. If I suffer, I'll suffer with your spirit. If you do a miracle in me, I'll rejoice in your spirit. If I don't understand why, the answer is no. I'll rejoice in your spirit. 
and I will bear your fruit. Fill me. Fill me, Spirit of God. And now I say on behalf of all of us, fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us that we might be a people of revival. That is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Merry Christmas.